Welcome to the Back to Blue podcast. I'm Naka Kondo from Economist Impact. At the COP27 summit, Emmanuel Macron became the first head of state to call for a ban on deep sea mining. He isn't the first to raise the alarm about the emerging sector, but as companies and countries begin discussing exploration licenses and projects, what are the environmental risks to the oceans? Next week, on November 29th and the 30th, Economist Impact will be hosting the World Ocean Summit Asia Pacific in Singapore. You can register for free to join the event virtually. The link is in the show notes. In this two-part episode on deep sea mining, we talk to Phil McCabe, an ocean campaigner, a member of the Deep Sea Conservation Coalition, about the past, present, and future of deep sea mining projects. So, thanks for joining us. I'd like to start by asking what has been driving deep sea mining as a trend. I think what's been driving it is people, companies. Countries even wanting to make money from exploiting, you know, the deep ocean. And as far as a trend goes, I think I come from New Zealand and have the benefit of over a decade of story being played out in New Zealand, closer to 15 years. And every company that has put money towards the idea, the concept, the proposed activity of mining the seabed for minerals. Has lost money. It hasn't returned on investments as thought、uh, for any, not countries, not companies, not individual investors. So, from a financial perspective, it's a risky place to put money. The outcome in New Zealand is that we've had we had dozens of companies holding exploration licenses in the late 2000s, early a decade ago, and today we have two remnant companies、uh, that have both failed to. And consents through regulatory processes under New Zealand legislation, and the industry that was attempted to get off the ground has failed to get off the ground because it's an inappropriate activity, socially, environmentally, and legally. What's the evidence so far of the types of environmental impact that deep sea mining is having, or could have, on the oceans and on marine life specifically? Yeah, I think the the first point is direct impacts on the area that's mined. In the case of, say, polymetallic nodules, which is sort of the front runner on interest of companies looking to go ahead, the the nodules themselves provide the habitat, the the structure of the habitat that you know provides space and structure for organisms to exist. So when you remove the nodules through mining, you're removing the habitat, and those nodules take Millions of years to grow, and so you're, you're talking about an impact, a permanent impact on human timescales. So direct direct impacts is number one. You have a plume that's created by the mining machinery on the sea floor in the deep ocean. The organisms that have evolved there are particularly susceptible and sensitive to sedimentation. The, the normal Um, status quo in the deep is very, very clear, very stable environments, slow-moving currents, and the organisms have not adapted to deal with sedimentation. Direct impacts to the surrounding area of the mining site、uh, through plumes created by the machinery on the sea floor, and then you have the waste discharge from the processing ship. The modules would get sucked up through a pipe in a slurry or a, or water. And the modules removed 
on the ship and then the wastewater pumped back into the ocean. Currently they're looking at the midwater column between 1,000 to 1,500 metres depth and that wastewater that could well, you would imagine it to have sediment for a start and it could well have metal fines and other toxins as part of it. And then you've got wide-ranging dispersal of those that's, that wastewater sediment across vast areas. The third one that I'll mention is noise for marine mammals, etc. A report, a recent report suggested a wall of noise at 500 kilometres across from a single mining operation in the clarion clipperton zone of the Pacific where this, you know, this is the first area off the rank that's, that's being proposed. There's 17 exploration licenses in that region and one mining operation creating 500 square uh, kilometre wall of noise. Um, you can imagine the area that would be impacted by several operations. So those are a few, and then I guess the, another one really is disturbance of carbon processes, carbon storage and capture processes through disruption of the seabed. The, the deep ocean is the largest carbon storage on the planet, and it provides ecosystem function that helps stabilise the climate. What's the state of rulemaking and governance? Is this something that is down to individual nation states? Is there an international dimension to this? Do we need some kind of international framework for deciding how this moves forward, especially as there are more and more applications for exploration? You've got two distinct areas, I guess. You've got country, you've got territorial waters of individual states, and then you've got international waters. And our focus has been on international waters and the regulatory body that looks after what is effectively half the planet, the deep ocean of international waters. They look after that on behalf of humankind. The International Seabed Authority, uh, based in Jamaica, they, a, a meeting of the International Seabed Authority Council started again yesterday. And what's the state of play? It's a mess. We have zero faith in the ISA processes. The, the Secretariat has gained control and is wielding an influence over the process that it should not be. The ISA is made up of member states, 167 countries plus the European Union, and the secretariat of the ISA is the secretary of those states. It should be taking its cues from the states, not trying to direct the states in a particular way. And currently the Secretary General, Michael Lodge, is robustly pro-mining and looking to facilitate this industry getting the go-ahead in international waters. That's very clear from us and many others who are watching this very closely. In terms of the specific minerals and products that deep sea mining is seeking out, is there an overlap with the inputs needed for renewable energy technology and net zero technology? I think the current generation of batteries, you know, or the technology that's being used uh, does use some of the metals that are found in the polymetallic nodules. However, there's already moves away from some of those expensive and challenging to get resources. Um, for instance, lithium phosphate batteries, which don't use cobalt or nickel. And I think there's a very concerted effort across the technology sector to move towards feedstock that is not contentious. 
So there's moves towards battery technology that use very common resources that would make these minerals obsolete in that context and maybe not too distant in the future. Do you ever see a use case or value in deep sea mining under any circumstances or conditions of environmental protection, or do you think the whole thing is a bad idea? I think again, if we go back to New Zealand, the New Zealand context. To be honest, there is stuff that exists on the seafloor that can be turned into money and can be utilized. Our concept of how we go about getting those resources currently. The way we're thinking about it is, and the, the options open to us are such that it's inappropriate to jump off that bungee platform. There's no safe landing. There's no safe out. Once you start strip mining vast areas of seabed, you're creating damage to the environment. And we've all agreed that we won't damage the environment, you know, in an extensive and serious way. So, and then you look at. The efforts, humanity's efforts at the moment in relation to the ocean. Everything we're doing is about restoration and improving ocean health. And this activity is a brand new activity that guarantees further destruction and degradation of that that ocean. And it's contradictory to all of our other efforts. Yeah, I don't see a way that this can be done without causing serious harm, and that's been shown in the New Zealand cases. What's the state of play with regards to deep sea mining at the moment? There is no deep sea mining. Actual, there are no projects in in play. Only proposed projects. The focus of the industry is on the Pacific region at this point in time, and it has been for some time. As I mentioned, the Clarence Clipperton zone of the Pacific, which stretches four and a half thousand kilometers from east to west, from close to the Hawaiian waters to the Mexican waters, that's the focus on, in the international space at the moment. Well, there is particular interest in the Cook Islands. Uh, the Cook Islands government is progressing an exploration process where they've just issued three exploration licenses to companies. They're The Cook Islands government is saying they will only advance if it's shown to be safe for the environment. But there's a very much a one-way track towards mining. It seems that they're setting themselves on a one-way trajectory, but that remains to be seen how it plays out. Papua New Guinea is an interesting case where Nautilus Minerals, which was a precursor to the metals company, which is driving the push in international waters. Nautilus Minerals was had been given a, a license for exploitation to begin mining back in 2011, I believe, in Papua New Guinea, the Solwara One project, and the community opposition there has been sustained、uh, for over a decade. The company went bankrupt in 2019 after going through a legal process that forced the Papua New Guinea government to pay out 120 million. Australian dollars to the company as a partner in the project, but there's a bit of a resurgence in Papua New Guinea where the license is still active and a, a new company has been formed to progress the project. Again, civil society, local communities pushing back strongly. Just a final question related to the upcoming COP. Is this an issue that's on the broader agenda around the COP discussions? 
It's been well acknowledged that the ocean is our greatest driver of stabilising climate and the buffer for us in keeping temperatures down. The, so ocean health should be key and is key, uh, a key conversation at COP. The deep sea mining issue will be discussed in several events and I think there's a report coming out which synthesises the nexus between these issues and yeah, what can I say? It's an issue that is very hot at the moment. I mean, even at the ISA, the, the meeting started yesterday in the first morning session. Germany, Costa Rica, Spain, Panama and New Zealand all stated their opposition to the advancement of this in the short term, calling for either moratorium or precautionary pause on the activity. So it's a very topical issue politically. It's topical amongst folks in the environmental movements, and it's an issue that's hitting. Thanks so much, Phil. We really appreciate your input. And thanks to you, our listeners, for joining us. Thank you for listening to Back to Blue podcast, part of an initiative of Economist Impact and the Nepon Foundation on the Health of the Ocean. I spoke to Phil McCabe, an ocean campaigner, a member of the Deep Sea Conservation Coalition. Phil, thank you so much for all of your thoughts and insights. You can find more information on the Back to Blue initiative at backtobueinitiative.com or you can visit the link from the show notes to access more relevant information from the initiative. Thank you for listening. <laughs>